0: Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Into heaven. Well, it's estimated that every year 600,000 people go missing in the United States. At any given time, there's about 90 to 100,000 active missing person cases in the United States. Now, most of those people are eventually found. They're, you know, people, you know, teenagers who ran away or someone who just didn't forgot to say where they were going. So most of them are found, but then there's some cases where people just disappear, vanish without a trace. Like, for example, there's a woman, and her name was Barbara Bullock. She was an avid hiker, outdoor enthusiast, and she was going on a hike with a friend named Jim, and uh, they went up this hike, and they went to this overlook, and they were just going to rest there for a little bit. And Jim took just a little bit longer to look at the scenery, and Barbara started to go down, and then when Jim turned around, Barbara was gone. They never found any shred of her remains, never found anything to do with her. Another situation, a guy named Jim Gray, he disappeared in 2007. Uh, he was a sailor, a sailor, and he went out. Uh, he lived near San Francisco, and he was going out to the Farallon Islands, which was a short, uh, short sail, and he was doing that to spread the ashes of his deceased mother. And so he went out, and about 10.30 a.m., he talked to his wife on on the phone. A couple hours later, he was seen by somebody near the Farallon Islands, and then he vanished, disappeared without a trace. And what was remarkable about that was he had radio equipment, and there was no mayday call. Further, he had this device that was in his boat that was meant so that if his boat sank, it would send out a GPS signal to show where his boat had sank. That signal, that beacon, never went off. They never found any shredder of his remains or any of the remains of the boat. He just vanished without a trace. One last story, the one that I found the most interesting. Brian J Jay- medical student and uh, he was allegedly ready to propose to his girlfriend. This was a Friday, and he was to, about to propose to his girlfriend. He was supposed to go to Miami to propose to his girlfriend on Monday. And so on this Friday, he went out uh, drinking with some friends. He a bar called The Ugly Tuna with some friends. And while he was in there, he kind of got separated from his friends, but they just figured he was just talking to people and doing whatever. Then when the bar closed at 2 a.m., they waited outside the bar, but he was nowhere to be found. They thought he must have taken a cab home, but days later they realized he was gone. And what's interesting about this situation was they saw him. They have video surveillance footage of him going up into the bar. They have surveillance footage of him at 1.55 a.m., five minutes before the bar was about to close, on the video camera. And then he seems to head back towards the bar, and that's the last that anyone ever seen him again. The only other exit was a freight elevator that went down, and you had to go through a construction zone to get out. And police said that that would have been difficult for someone who wasn't drunk, and his friends say that he was very drunk, to navigate through. And further, they never picked him up on any other surveillance camera from other nearby businesses or restaurants. He just disappeared without a trace. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the family member of one of those people who disappeared like that. I mean, it's hard enough to lose someone as it is, but to lose someone and have no idea what happened to them or where they went, it's got to be heartbreaking. You know, you think to yourself, are they still alive? Did they go away intentionally? Or did someone take them? There's so many questions that would go through your mind, and there's so much confusion that we feel at compounding that sense of loss. And I wonder if that's a little bit about what the disciples of Jesus felt. I mean, think about it from their perspective. Jesus had died, and so they believed they had lost him. And then he raises the dead, so he's and they're all excited about that and He appears to people and is there for 40 days and, and you know, says some incredible things. And then the disciples are like, okay, it's time to bring in the kingdom of God. He was dead. He was buried. He rose again. The kingdom is here. And they say, Lord, is it time now to bring in your kingdom? But just, then just a few minutes or a short time after that, we see Jesus is standing there and clouds come underneath Him and He rises up into the clouds and disappears. He's gone. I wonder what was going through the disciples' mind. I wonder what kind of confusion and heartache they were feeling as they would lost Him once again. Their Master, their Lord, who they thought was back, who they thought was ready to bring in the kingdom, is now gone again. I wonder if they thought... Where has He gone? Has He left us? Is He coming back? And so they're standing there staring into the sky, and we see the only time in Scripture that anyone is ever told not to look at Jesus. The two angels say this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. They say, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why are you wondering where Jesus is Jesus is coming back again. But you need to stop looking up and you need to start... Of Acts was written by Luke. And it was meant to be part two, so to speak, of the Gospel of Luke. It says as much in verse 1 of, of Acts. Again, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do... And teach. It says in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So let that sink in for a moment. The first book, Luke, which includes the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, all the miracles that he does, or many of the miracles he does, his death, resurrection, and ascension. That's the beginning of all that Jesus began to do. And to teach. And in this work, in the book of Acts, Jesus has disappeared from the scene. In chapter 1, after the first 11 verses, Jesus is no longer there. But in Luke's mind, he sees that the book of Acts is continuing the work and the actions of Jesus. Because Luke was just the beginning. The book of Luke was just the beginning. Acts is a continuation of all that Jesus began was doing and teaching. Now, when we think of the, about the book of Acts, the book of Acts was, is traditionally been called the Acts of the Apostles. And in your Bible, uh, there's probably something on the top that says the Acts of the Apostles. Now, that's not something that Luke gave to this work. It's something that was added by a later writer. And I think that kind of title, kind of, if we look at the title, it might make us misinterpret what the book of Acts is all about. I think a different title might be more appropriate. And bear with me, I know this is a very long title. So, bear with me. But something like this might be more appropriate. The Acts of Jesus through His people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in accordance with the sovereign plan of the Father. The Acts of Jesus, through His people, through His church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the plan of God. It's Jesus continuing His work through His church, through His people. Jesus does a remarkable thing in this passage. He hands off the baton, so to speak, of His mission to human beings. He gives us an amazing call, an amazing mission. He says in verse 8, You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. This small group of disciples would be witnesses to his resurrection. They'd be witnesses to the fact that Jesus could change lives. They'd be witnesses to the love and grace and mercy of God. They would be his witnesses and they'd be, they would carry Christ's message throughout the world. But they'd only be able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 continues You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's the only one who can bring that mission about. So here's the point of this first 11 verses as I see it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' local mission becomes the church's global mission. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' local mission becomes the church's global mission. See, Jesus had a local ministry. He was a person who healed people, he cast out demons, he taught people, and he taught in a specific location, and that location was most often in Israel. And he saw his mission, primarily his mission in the flesh, as a mission to Israel. Remember the story of the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus and asked Jesus to cast out the demon that was in her daughter. Look at Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. His response seems a little bit callous. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now of course Jesus cares about the whole world, but in His ministry, in His earthly ministry, His ministry was centered around Israel. And so He came to Israel, chose to invest in a few people so that it would be through those people that His message and His love would spread throughout the world. So Jesus reveals in this passage that we're looking at today that His mission is not just for Israel. It's not just a local mission of what He did in and around Israel, but it's a global mission that His disciples are to share and to spread throughout the world. It's a mission that He gave to His disciples, but I believe it is also a mission that He gives to each and every one of us. We have a mission and we need to be Jesus to the world. We need to proclaim the gospel, as the book of Mark says, to all creation. Yet I think there's a number of things that keep us from being fully engaged in that mission. There's a number of things that keep us from being a part of God's mission. And the truth is, there is no plan B. He's passed off the baton to us as believers to spread His message throughout the world. But there's things that keep us from that. Some of us might think to ourselves, I, I can't make a difference. When we think about the global mission that the church has given to proclaim the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, it seems overwhelming. But the encouraging part about this passage is that it's a command that's not given just to you. In, in English, we only have one word for you. It's you. But in most languages, there's a you and a plural you. In the South, they say y'all for the plural. In the passage, the command is given to y'all. It's in the plural. It's given to all of us. And what that means is that we're not on this mission by ourselves. The mission is not limited to the people in this room. The mission to be witnesses is carried out throughout the world with people who proclaim the gospel. There are witnesses in our city who are carrying out the mission with us together. Witnesses at Lumber City Church or Renewal Church, other churches that preach the Gospel. There are witnesses throughout Buffalo, throughout our region. There are witnesses in Peru and Cuba and Colombia and China, throughout the world. We're all in this together. The task is not for one of us. The task is for all of us. And when all of us are engaged, it makes it more manageable. Think about it this way. Let's say that each one of us led one person to the Lord a year. One person to the Lord a year for ten years. And each person that we led to the Lord in turn led another person to the Lord each year up to that ten year point. If that was the case, by year ten, there would be about 25,000 people who came to know the Lord which represents about 80% of North Tonawanda. It all starts with one person. And all of us need to be engaged in that mission. Think about the children in those families who would be impacted by parents who raised them to know the Lord. Think about the missionaries and church planners that would be raised up from those people who would go to the ends of the world to proclaim the gospel. The impact would be Incredible. So don't don't let the size of the mission deter you from doing what God has called you to do. Os Guinness once said this, the problem with Christians in America is not that Christians aren't where they should be. The problem is that they're not what they should be right where they are. It's not that we aren't where we should be, it's that we aren't what we need to be where we are. He calls us to be witnesses wherever we are. So, don't let that be a discouragement to you. Another thing that could keep us from the mission of God is we might think to ourselves, I'm not capable. I'm not capable of leading another person to Christ. I'm not capable of being a part of the mission of God. Dr. Bill Bright told a, st- a story about a farm that was called uh, Yates Field. It was owned by, you'd guess it, Mr. Yates. And uh, during the Depression... Mr. Gates was a sheep rancher, and he really had a hard time making a living. Couldn't pay his bills. He was having trouble with his mortgage. Um, He was really in poverty so so that he had to live on government subsidies to survive. But one day, some seismographers uh, from an oil company came to him and said, we think that you might have some oil on your land. Would you mind if we dug so he agreed to it and signed a contract for them to do that. And they started digging, and about 1,185 feet, they found uh, an oil reserve. The first oil reserve came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many of the subsequent wells that were dug were twice as large as that well. 30 years after the discovery, a government uh, test of one of the wells showed it had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. Now, Mr. Yates owned all of that from the moment that he purchased that field. And yet he lived in the field working as a sheep rancher, no doubt worrying about where he was going to get money for food, worrying about how he was going to pay the mortgage, not realizing that he was a multimillionaire was underneath the surface. He lived in poverty because he didn't know what was underneath the surface. I think sometimes we do the same thing. We live without power. We live without strength because we don't know the one who lives inside of us beneath the surface. In the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus told the disciples to wait to do ministry until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. He says, only after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you are to be my witnesses. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come upon us. The moment we believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and took ownership of our lives, came into our lives. And we have this incredible power inside of us. He's more powerful than we can ever imagine. In John chapter 17, Jesus tells His disciples that He's going to be leaving the earth. And they're understandably very upset about that. But look at how Jesus responds to them. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He he comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, And you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world will be judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Think about what Jesus says here. He says, It is to your advantage that I leave. Just think, let that set in for a moment. You know we think about the life of Jesus and we think about what would it be like to live among, you know live with Jesus to see his miracles, to see him cast out demons, to hear his teachings that would be an incredible thing but Jesus says here to the disciples, it would be better for me to leave the Holy Spirit than for me to stay without the Holy Spirit see as believers we get to experience something that the disciples Living around Jesus didn't get to experience. Not only do we get to see miracles and observe miracles, but we get to experience miracles in our own hearts. We get to be a part of miracles. We get to see people come to know Jesus as God's Holy Spirit brings people to Himself. The same Spirit that's inside of us raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit is an incredible source of power. And yet, sometimes I think we neglect that power source. We don't rely on God as we should. We don't pray and trust in Him as we need to. And sometimes we try to do it in our own strength, and then we feel incapable of doing what God has called us to do. And the truth is, we are. With God's Holy Spirit, we're not capable. But with His Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can stop us. Corey Ten Boom once said this, "...trying to do the Lord's work..." And your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. This passage reminds us the fuel for our ministry is the power of the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit's power, we can do nothing. So that's the second thing that can keep us from the mission of God. The third thing that can keep us is we might think to ourselves, well, I'm just not interested... In the mission. That's great for people who are missionaries or who, people who are pastors, but I, I have other things that I'm concerned about. The mission of God is not an optional part of the Christian life. It's not something we add on to the Christian life. It's central to our lives as Christians. Imagine that a loved one is about to pass away. And before they pass away, they call you into wherever they are, and they say, I I just want to share a few things with you. If that were the case, and if it was someone that you really loved and really respected, you'd probably be listening and be all ears. Now Jesus gives us some last words. These are His last words. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. These are the last words of Jesus. He could have said a number of things. He could have said, just enjoy your life, rest in your salvation. He should, could have said, just go to church and enjoy doing spiritual things and you know, maybe build a monastery and hang out. But he said, you shall be my witnesses. Share my love with the world. I've shown you grace. I've shown you love. And now be my hands and feet and show that love to the world. Disciples were looking up. Rather than out, sometimes we can do the same thing. We can be so focused on spiritual things that we don't see the needs around us. We can be focused on church activities. We can listen to message after message, spend time praying, and all the time miss what God is calling us to do. Miss the mission. God could have taken us to heaven right away. He didn't have to leave us here, but He leaves us here for a purpose, with a mission. And he calls us to be a part of that. Others of us may not simply be looking up, but we're looking out, but we're looking at the wrong things. We're looking at material things, things to comfort us. We're trying to build our own castles here. N.G. Wright writes this in his book, Surprised by Hope. Left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, acquiescing into the general belief that things may be getting worse. But that there's not much we can do about them. And we are wrong. He says our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day, with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. Bruce Beresford is one of the most famous directors in the history of Australian cinema. And he directed a number of films. Some of his uh, most famous ones were uh, Driving Miss Daisy and Breaker Morant. But he says one of the most difficult films that he ever directed was a film called Black Robe. And uh, Black Robe was a movie about Jesuit missionaries who went to uh, share the gospel with the Indians in Quebec. And there were a lot of things that were difficult about this story. First of all, they were... um, Filming it in a very an area with very rough terrain, uh, very bad weather. Uh, there were a lot of historical details that he had to do a lot of research on to get make sure they were accurate. But he said the most difficult thing about the movie was to get people to understand why evangelism or why sharing one's faith is important. He says this about one of the Jesuit missionaries. He, speaking of the missionary, had an obsession with getting people into heaven. This is a concept few people these days take seriously. My job was to convince an audience that this is important. In our culture, doing something like that is irrelevant. It's not something that people do. But it was important to Jesus. It's The last words that he gave to us. There's some things that can keep us from being on mission. Think to ourselves, I can't make a difference. I'm not capable. I'm not interested. But what a privilege we have to be a part of God's mission. What a blessing and a responsibility we have that Jesus passed on the baton, so to speak. Saying, though I'm leaving, I'm ascending into heaven. The work is not done. I need you to carry out my work. I need you to be my hands and feet. I need you to carry my message of love and the resurrection to the ends of the earth. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' local mission becomes the church's global mission. Let's pray. God, we're in awe of the fact that you would Allow us to be a part of Your mission. We know You could have done it by Yourself. But we're in awe of the fact that You allow us to be a part of Your plan and Your mission of reaching the world with Your love. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful. Faithful to do whatever it is that You're calling us to do. Whether that's something very small or something very big. And as we do those things, God, I pray that we would rely on Your Holy Spirit. Because we know that there's nothing we can do that's of eternal significance without Your Spirit empowering us. So Lord, we pray that You'd empower us through Your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just pray that You'd put on our hearts a desire and a passion to make Your name known. Because we know that as we do that, it's not about getting people to sign up for something. It's about proclaiming how great You are proclaiming the excellence of who you are and proclaiming and being witness to the, to the fact that you've changed us and that you made us new. In Christ's name I pray, amen.